I think you would probably agree that that hymn, Amazing Grace, is a song of restoration. I invite you in that spirit to hear the story of Peter's restoration. A reading from the Gospel according to John, the 21st chapter beginning with verse 1. After these things, Jesus showed Himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And He showed Himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach. But the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, have you no fish? Have you? They answered Him, No. He said to them, Cast the net to the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked, and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask Him, Who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after He was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love Me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed My lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he had said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and go wherever you wished. 
But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. After this, he said to him, Follow me. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. According to this Gospel of John, early on the first day of the week, after Jesus had been put to death, Mary Magdalene came. She came to the tomb. She saw something she did not expect. She saw the stone rolled away. How did she respond? She ran to tell Simon, son of John, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. I wonder what it must have been like for Simon to hear those words. He hadn't been faithful enough to stand by Jesus in his darkest hour, and now, now he hadn't even been faithful enough to prevent someone from stealing Jesus' body. I wonder if that thought entered his mind. I wonder if he felt as if he had failed Jesus yet again. Peter, whose original name was Simon, met Jesus through his brother Andrew. Andrew had told him, Simon, we have found the Messiah. And he brought his brother to meet Jesus. And Jesus looked at Simon and said, You are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Cephas. Which is translated Peter. Peter is the Greek form of the Aramaic word Cephas or Kephas, which means rock. Both Cephas and Peter mean rock. I find it curious that the first interaction John tells us Jesus had with Simon, son of John, was to say his name and then change his name. Jesus called his name and named him. I have a theory about that. I bet that's shocking, isn't it? I know that a lot of people put a lot of stock in the meaning of names. For instance, my name means beloved. David means beloved. So I find it shocking that there have been at least a couple of people in my life who didn't even like me. Because names are supposed to mean all this wonderful stuff. How dare they not like somebody named beloved? What's wrong with those people? We link power to names. We put stock in it. We might say to someone, heck, you even look like a Susan, right? We might talk about how people who share a certain name behave similarly. And I think that's likely due to their parents having chosen their child's name. And that choice of name was likely due to the name having appealed to them in some way, to their own personalities, to their own affinities. For instance, most of the people who I've known who are named Susan seem to have similar personalities. Same is true for most of the people that I've known who were named Steve. They were all very similar people. I suspect their parents were probably a lot alike too. So I don't think it's the name itself that gives meaning to a child. I think the significance of having a name is not the meaning of the name at all or the reasons the parent chose the name. For me, the most important thing is that the parents chose to call the child. 
the most important thing is that they chose to speak a name over the child. They chose to speak the child's name. And they chose to name the child. It's in the act of calling someone's name that we first claim them as part of our life. And declare them to be ours. I'll give you an example. It was a sweet day for me when my daughter moved in with us. But for a long time, we couldn't change her name. But it was an unbelievably sweeter day when I could give her my own last name. Because it marked her as mine. As belonging to me, as being part of my life, and that she had me. In that act, I declared her to be part of me. In saying her name, I declared her to be part of me. When Jesus called Simon, He was calling him by name and claiming him. When Jesus renamed Simon as Peter, He claimed Peter as His own. Calling someone's name has power. It binds them to us and us to them. For instance, you probably know that it's good to have somebody say, I love you, right? How many of you like to hear somebody say, I love you? Anybody? Amen? Make some noise. Amen? Amen. I love you. But isn't it more powerful if they say, I love you, Donna. I love you, Samantha. I love you, Billy. I love you, Chuck. Isn't that more powerful to us? Isn't it more powerful when they say our name? How many of us would give anything to hear our mother call our name today? Having someone simply say your name to you means that you are part of their life. It is deeply, 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 deeply powerful. Simon, son of John, our Lord said. Fast forward to the end of the 6th chapter of John, and you'll find the next mention of Simon, the son of John, but this time John calls him Simon Peter to mark the fact that Jesus had claimed him. Likewise, in verse 68 of that chapter, Peter responds to a question Jesus asked by naming Jesus and claiming Jesus as his own. It seems by that time, don't tell all the megachurch pastors this, they don't like this truth. By that time, Jesus had established a big giant megachurch and he preached a sermon that ran half of them off. They all got upset because what he had asked them to do was too hard, they thought. It wasn't a cheap grace, but a real grace. Leave behind your life and follow me. And they said, it's too hard. And at least half of them left. Time to call the PPRC together, right? John tells us because of this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer went about with him. So Jesus asked the twelve, do you also wish to go away? And Simon Peter answered him by saying, Lord. Peter laid claim to Jesus, refusing to leave. He named Him 
Lord. Lord, Peter said, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. And Peter named Jesus as his own. But we know more of Simon, son of John's story, Peter's story. John tells us that on the night Jesus gave Himself up for us, Jesus told His disciples, including Peter, including Simon, son of John, that He was going to leave them. And that where He was going, they could not come. And Peter said to Him, Lord, why can I not follow You now? I'll lay down my life for You. Jesus answered Peter saying, Will you lay down your life for me? Will you? Will you lay down your life for me? Later, Jesus would tell His disciples, no one has greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. And the sad thing is, we know that Peter actually did something very different. Despite the words he spoke, He did the exact opposite. Rather than lay down his life for Jesus, Peter denied Jesus three times in order to save his own life. Peter three times refused to lay down his life for Jesus. Three times he denied Jesus. First, he denied he was Jesus' disciple. And if that wasn't enough, a second time he denied that he was a follower of Jesus. And then third, he denied that he had even been with him. Three times Peter denied the one that he had named Lord, the one he had claimed as his own. Three times he denied the one who called his own name and claimed him. Three times. And then the cock crowed. The Gospel of Luke tells us that the moment the rooster sounded, the arrested and bound Jesus turned and looked at Peter, and that Peter remembered the words of Jesus, how he has said to him, Before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter, Cephas, Simon, son of John, the one whose name was Rock, became broken. He went out and he wept bitterly. In denying Jesus, He had broken his bond with Jesus and his heart was crushed. Dear ones, it's hard to ask, but it's also necessary to ask. Are there ways that you and I, that we have denied the Lord? Are there ways that we have denied that we are His disciples? Have we denied in any way, by any action, by any word, that we were ever with Him at all? Have we in times of weakness or convenience sought to preserve our own lives to do with them what we willed? The prophet Isaiah warned the people of Israel how easy it was to do just that. He said to them, These people come near to me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Brennan Manning is widely remembered for saying these words that you likely have heard before. He said, The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips 
and walk out the door and deny Him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Do you hear that, church? It's not science or the government or the lack of prayer in schools. It's not any of that stuff we like to blame for the decline of faith in America. It's the people who have faith who are causing that problem. Because we live like that faith doesn't matter. And we gather and ignore the world around us and pretend as if our Lord did not love the poor, the homeless, the hurt, the broken. The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today, he said, is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips walk out the door, and he means the doors of the church, and deny Jesus by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Another great author, C.S. Lewis, once said, the gospel means we can stop lying to ourselves. The gospel means we can stop lying to ourselves. The sweet sound of amazing grace saves us from the necessity of self-deception. It keeps us from denying that though Christ was victorious, the battle with lust, greed, and pride still rages within us. The gospel means that we don't have to deny that we struggle with those things. As a sinner who has been redeemed, Lewis said, I can acknowledge that I am often unloving, irritable, angry, and resentful with those closest to me. When I go to church, I can leave my white hat at home and admit I have failed. God not only loves me as I am, but also knows me as I am. Because of this, I don't need to apply spiritual cosmetics to make myself presentable to Him. I can accept ownership of my poverty and powerlessness and neediness. Simon, son of John, Peter had honored Jesus with his lips, but when push came to shove, Almost literally, his heart was far from Jesus. Peter had acknowledged, named, and claimed Jesus, but when it mattered most, he denied Jesus. He chose convenience. He chose safety. He chose respect. He chose obscurity. Rather than choosing to live out his love for Jesus, or even simply his commitment to Jesus, he denied Him three times. And Peter wept bitterly because Peter hurt bitterly. Dear ones, I am willing to admit to you that I have felt that pain. I have done things, said things, and thought things that deny Christ. Things that are contrary to my desire for Him and my commitment to Him. Perhaps you know that same pain. If you're aware of thoughts, words, deeds, decisions, choices, actions taken, or actions untaken, 
that amount to denying Christ's rightful place in your life, then you know the pain that I'm speaking of. I suspect that in some way, we all know how Peter felt when he realized that he had denied Christ by what he had done. We all have felt the sting of sin. I wonder, can we take responsibility for the ways that we have denied Christ? Repent and allow Christ to restore us. For the good news today is this, just as there was mercy and restoration for Peter, there's mercy and restoration for us. Whatever the measure of sin that denies Christ, there is a measure of grace greater than that sin. Our Lord will give us whatever mercy we need. You might ask how I can be so sure of that. And the simplest answer I can give you is because I'm standing here today. From 1987 to roughly 2004, I denied Christ's right to my life. I denied Christ's call on my life in thought, word, and deed. I am guilty of denying Christ. I am guilty of sin, and yet Christ has continued to call and send me, or restored me. The fact that I'm standing here today is assurance that the Lord Jesus Christ will forgive and restore you. More importantly, I know it's true because Jesus' tendered mercy towards Simon, son of John, has been visible to us today. In Jesus' words, we get a glimpse of the loving, forgiving, and restoring heart of Almighty God. Listen to these words of hope that Jesus speaks to Peter. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Simon, do you love me? Simon, do you love me? Three times Peter denied Jesus, so three times Jesus calls his name and invites Simon, son of John, back into relationship with him. Three times Jesus gave Peter a chance to affirm his love for Jesus. Three times Jesus invited Peter to return to him. Dear ones, I come to this place today to tell you that Jesus is calling you. Inviting you to return to Him. Because Peter had denied Jesus three times, Jesus offered him restoration and healing three times. Dear ones, whatever measure of grace you need is available for you today as well. Whether it's three times, four times, or a hundred times, that mercy is available to you. God's grace is sufficient for you. God's grace and mercy are available to all of us. 
to restore us and invite us to commit our love and lives to Christ. The God whose mercy is on display in Peter's story is the same one who says to us now, you are precious in my sight and I love you. If you know Peter's hurt and pain, then know this as well. The same restoration that was made available to Peter that day is available to you today. Jesus Christ is calling you by name and inviting you to restoration. He says to you, do you love me? How will you respond? As for me, I say before you, yes, Lord, I love you. I invite you to do the same. As we sing this final hymn, let the words of your heart be, yes, Lord. I love you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.